The following is a quick call that I had with Cristobal Valenzuela from Runway ML. We haven't talked for a bit. I remember we chatted on the podcast in 2018. We had a, a podcast when Runway was just getting started. And uh, it's been three years. Well, I mean, I think it's been a year and a half or two years since I passed through your office there in, in Brooklyn. And yeah, I don't know if you can briefly mention a bit of, of what's changed or what's coming on, on Runway ML to get started. Totally. A lot has happened since uh, those two years uh, when we last met, I think. Runway has grown in a very different front. Uh, the product has evolved significantly from a more experimental have for understanding how machine learning works and how to apply those uh, models into creative like domains into a fully fledged professional uh, tool that VFX studios use, that brands use, that designers use to work on their day-to-day -day work. And so we've taken a um a really interesting path of like experimentation towards like product standardization of like metric learning models in the uh domains of uh creativity mostly um but still pretty much very close to our community and pretty much very open and close to uh the creative journal around runway yeah i think the the word that you've done in creating community right like the i think it started with your slack channel it's a lot of people involved I think that's um, also some part of what attracted me originally to the project and seeing like how many people were uh, doing things. How do you think uh, these sort of tools uh, are going to evolve, right? I see, for example, I personally use Descript. I don't know if you know about it. It's like a, a tool that uses AI for uh, a really directed workflow for video editing and, and podcasting. And I see that Runway now, apart from having like different machine learning models that you can use, you're also getting into like video editing and automating certain parts of it. How do you see these tools competing with like maybe bigger brands like Adobe and, and other platforms? Or, or do you think this is going to be like, and, and there's going to be integrations or is it features that they're going to try to also copy or acquire or things like this? Sorry, that's a good question. I would say that like most traditional mainstream softwares, if you're talking about video editing, for instance, are software that historically has been there for the last 20 years that are a representation of what was possible 20 years ago. Like interfaces and software are, I believe, a um, manifestation of a moment in time and a context in time of what was, what's possible with technology and how people perceive technology. So when you look at traditional like nonlinear video editing software, they're based on the assumption that like film and edit and content works in one way, and then you need to edit it because you're going to like ship it to like a movie somewhere else or like you need to distribute it through traditional channels but then you have the rise of like other distribution channels you have the rise of like other types of content that those kind of softwares never consider it and most importantly you have the primitive technology that's behind those software being changed all the time specifically now with ml and so when you think about things like for instance like using algorithms to help you and assist you in the editing process you need a way of finding a metaphor or a tool that will allow you to collaborate with those algorithms. There's nothing in the interface that you see right now uh, of video editing software that will help you do that in a way that's intuitive for you. And so what's really interesting, for instance, from this script is that they figured out how to help podcasters like edit video with text. That was just not feasible or possible like five years ago. There was like technology that was not there yet, but now it is. And they didn't like build a plugin. They built a software that just do that 
with a unique interface. So it's probably something very, very, very similar is happening with other aspects of the video creation process. When you think about film, when you think about VFX, when you feel about content in general, we need those new interfaces, new kind of like um, metaphors and, and systems. And that's what we're building, basically. We're building those new next generation of like systems to help people create video and create content. Yeah, and I think that analogy of like not creating plugins and creating a full new product, I, I think that's also the freedom, right? That comes with being a startup that can just, you know, you don't have constraints. You have like a, a workflow that you've been maintaining maybe for like 20 years, let's say Audition or Premiere or something like that. And you can kind of build the UI that you feel is right for that workflow, right? Not not just trying to cram something into another product. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. You have that liberty to explore more freely new avenues that perhaps other companies can't. Okay. And maybe more informally, like, how's life since I last saw you, like, in terms of uh, building your own product and having your own company with, with a few friends? It's been, it's been busy. The last two years, we've gone from being... Just me on a small room at NYU building runway to a team of almost 15 people uh, with collaborators working on New Zealand, LA, New York, Chile, Europe, with having users from all continents using runway. And that's just been like two and a half years. We went from raising our seed round to raising our Series A, which has given a lot of like flexibility to grow that team and also grow our operations as well in New York and over the world. And uh, what would you say, can you think of any projects that have like been more influential to you that other people have done with Runway? Build a Runway? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. There's, I mean, there's too many, to be honest. There's definitely, I really enjoy what's happening now with VFX Studios using Runway for films and for editing and for ads as well. Specifically when creating like very unique pieces of content. I also like the work that New Balance has been doing more specifically with design and using some of the generative capacities of runway in the design process, uh, which I think touches on, I guess, some of the things you've also been working with Grasshopper and Rhino in more of the 3D environment. I also like the work some musicians have been doing with runway. There's a band called Yad who's been using runway for some of their videos. And I'm really kind of like amazed. I'm really amazed at the capacity of like, and this is one of the reasons we started runway, like of people understanding and decontextualizing a technology serving and using in a creative manner that like I've never thought of before and like no one has ever thought before. But with the right context and the right experience, you can build really kind of like unique things. I think that that drives me a lot. Yeah, that that's one of the most exciting things, right? Like you just put it out there and other people do cool things with it and put their time on it. And do you think the um, how how do you feel the the business model in terms of like the the payment system and all this thing is that working as well is that because I I believe that that might be some of the things that was really hard right like we have this product and stuff but how do we charge for it right I think the the biggest challenge so right now we have two products we have a what we call the ML Lab and SQL SQL is a professional video editing software running on the web for real-time video editing. So you can do all the crazy things that you can do with ML, but on a video context. And that's a very simple subscription model that you pay for like a license and you get access to the software and 4K experts and ProRes and all the pro things. And then the other side, you have the ML Lab. The ML Lab is a product that's more experimental and like aimed towards people who want to understand how ML works inside the image domain, inside videos, inside art, for instance. Uh, I think the hardest thing there has been for folks to understand the idea of like having to rent GPUs to run algorithms. Most people are not used to the idea of like, why do I need to run these things on the cloud? And so 
teaching people about the abstractions that are behind that are happening behind uh, when you're running a model have been fundamental in working with pricing with our users and with our community. Yeah, I think, and you know, personally for me, when I do like live streams or I do like, try to use things like StyleGAN or other algorithms, sometimes even for me, I think like, ah, this thing is like something that I, I cannot do on my machine, right? So I need to do on the cloud. And I have options like, oh, I can do this for free, let's say on something like Colab or whatever. But then I find that even for me that I'm coding, it's super hard sometimes to get things running, right? And and then if you use the, the really easy to use interface on runway that makes your life really easy, even if you have to, you know, you have some cost to it because it, it's actually saving that complexity. Can you mention, are you guys, what, what work are you uh, aiming to do in terms of letting other people train models, like other types of models, like you have StyleGAN, you have some text and object detection models. Uh, what are we doing in terms of like, how are we doing it or how do we think about moving forward? Just to understand. But I mean, I was asking more if like, if you're going to add new models in terms of oh, like, yeah. Yeah, to be able to train on the, on your interface. From the side of like the creative who's using runway, I think one thing that we've learned over time is that it doesn't really matter that much the name and the uh, technique and the architecture you're using to create something. In the same way that when you're using a filter in Photoshop, you don't care about the mathematical function that goes behind blurring or like doing a Gaussian kind of like effect. You just want the output of it. You want the creative output of like modifying and moving a slider or having an effect being applied to your video, your pixels or content. And so when we think about it from that perspective, we are building algorithms and models and allowing people to train new systems, but no, we're not focusing that much on like the architectures behind the scenes. We're focusing on the ability for you to like steer and control and have input on how you want to create an image and train an algorithm to generate the image that you want more than like emphasizing too much, like the technicalities as the technical aspects of it. It's relevant to know what I think of it. It's relevant to understand how it works. But when you're designing, it's not really helpful unless it adds to the design process itself. So I just think that when we think about adding new models to train, I think we're more than like adding new models to train. We're thinking about how do we add new features so people can control the outputs of what they're training on. And like, maybe that's not a new model for the sake of adding new model, but it's more of like an interface that allows you to do a leading work with more control, for instance. I, I see that what you're seeing is like people using this for like video editing and like arts and like ads and things like this. Do you have any, have you given any thought of like the influence of machine intelligence, not only like the runway interface, but machine intelligence in general into uh, the design field and maybe even like architecture and art and, and things like this? What angle do you think you want to take, like how it's going to impact or how a profession will change or the disciplines themselves? Let's take the, the example that you've seen for video editing inside of Runway, right? Or what we are seeing already, because I'm using it a lot on Descript for podcasters. Descript has changed my entire workflow, right? Like I don't need to almost use Audition anymore if I want, right? I can just drag my files, transcribe, and I can edit as if I was, in some way, as if I was editing a paragraph of text. Do you envision anything like that happening in, in architecture? Totally. That's a good one. I think... Software in general, design software in general builds, allows people to think in a specific manner, like the same way that like before software architects tend to think more in paper and the edits were constrained and the process itself was different. The creative process itself was less flexible than it, what it is right now when you have like parametric design and you can have like multiple variations of the same design at the same time. 
share across the world at the same time by multiple users on different time zones. I think what will happen probably with architecture, I'm not an architect, so I'm guess I'm just like uh, speculating here from what I've uh, seen and from the chance I've had to of working with architects in the kind of like tooling side of things. I think a lot of it will become designers and architects in particular, kind of like a sort of a curator or editor of certs. There's an algorithm that you can train. There are systems that will help you design and plan and schedule and come with ideas and iterations. And then you're like this master boss or like this master of mine in terms of like where you want to take the project on and you have systems subsystems that are helping you and aiding you on that process and so you're curating you're saying yes to things you're saying no to things you're going in an opinion and you have all these inputs that are they're just like reactive to you like software i think it's very reactive to me. you design and like this but the software doesn't know what you're trying to do software is all like proposing designs to you like attempts of like taking ideas and approaches that perhaps you never thought of and you're going to be like yes let's do that can you throw me a hundred more iterations of that? Okay, let's do that again. And like, you can keep on doing that. So um, I think that's a very interesting kind of like direction to take, um, not just for architects, but for design world in general. And how do you think this affects the, you know, the way we see creativity? And like, how is it going to impact the perceived creativity that maybe a designer or an artist has in his own work? I think it's just going to allow... Uh, it is right now to explore new avenues, new territories, new creative possibilities. It's a tool. Like we're not, we're constrained by what we know and like having ability of like doing more things more easily will just like expand the amount of things that we can do. I think creativity gets redefined a lot by generations and what's feasible and possible and contextually like relevant at every generation. And we're realizing it again. I think TikTok, the rise of TikTok has been kind of like uh, a mind blown for everyone in the like video space. Like TikTok is competing with Netflix in terms of like content. People are watching like it's way more engaging. It's way more creative. The ability to remix videos it's something that you couldn't have done anywhere anytime before in the film or video history. And now you can take videos and remix them. And that idea of remixing has creating a lot of like interesting creativity channels or tunnels that no one has ever explored before. And so I think we're going to start seeing those again more and more over time. And one last quick thing, I've read, for example, from Mario Klingemann, right? Like he's done a lot of work with generative adversarial networks. And he has a quote somewhere, I don't exactly know what it says, but it's like that we're not really original, right? Like we tend to create things, but always based on, and you mentioned something similar, always based on what we know, what we have seen. So it's kind of copying parts of what we've already seen. I tend to hear people when you train a model and you have a defined training set, so you have like maybe 100, 200 images and you know what the model has been trained with, you know the sort of knowledge or what it's going to be able to generate in some way. And people start thinking like, oh, this model might be just biased because it only knows about these 100 faces or these 100 buildings or something. How do you think that compares to us, to our creativity or originality and also... In what ways do you think you could make algorithms in terms of machine learning provide you with things that are unexpected, right? Because I think many times we try to think that we're going to train the machine and then it's going to give us something that we have never seen or that is novel, right? Original. I guess I react to that with two things. The first one, I think there is right now there's an overemphasis on like the technology itself and like mentioning that you're working with machine intelligence behind the scenes, it has become relevant on its own. You want to emphasize you're working with like something new and that's, that's good. It's a way of like signaling that 
our world as explorers touching on new technologies and new ways of using it. But at the same time, it creates a false assumption that like these entities have like their knowledge or like they're like we're humanizing them in a way that we shouldn't. And so I always come back to the analogy of the process of like you taking a picture with your iPhone. There are like seven neural networks running behind the scenes of that picture in an iPhone to make the photo look look, to like adjust the light. When you take that picture, no one is saying like, oh, the AI is biased or the AI worked or didn't work or it showed me like new creative possibilities. It just like works. And like, if it doesn't, then you're not going to like the picture. That's it. Or maybe you will. But in your head, your Apple has abstracted that and it's not focusing on like emphasizing the AI aspect of it. It's just like, it's a good technology. It's a tool. That's only other tool. And so in general, I think like all the art tools that we're making will eventually reach that point where you're not too concerned about the systems you're using and you're not emphasizing as, as much, you're just using it as a tool. And if it provides you with good results to explore a creative direction, you're going to use it again. And the biases means that you're going to get bad results. Like if you're roto, if you're doing like a segmentation for an image and you want to do a collage and the image is biased against like just people instead of like dogs and you're using a collage of dogs, then the model will just like the algorithm will work really bad for your results and you're not going to use it again. That's it. Like you're not going to, oh, this model is like, working biasly because it was trained on X, Y, or C, just the tool doesn't work. That, that, that's, I guess, is my, my first reaction. And I guess the other point to that you were mentioning about like more creative or new explorations or avenues, I think that's more like the UI and the interfaces that you can build to be more suggestive about your processes and your designs. And so that's still, I think, uh, in general, something that people are still trying to figure out, how to build those systems and those interfaces that will assist you and aid you on those design stages. There's a lot to figure out yet on how to make it really, really intuitive for folks. Yeah, and, and I keep being surprised by how many contributions there are for algorithms and machine learning networks and things like this, but how few new interfaces we see, right? Like the, the ones totally. that, for example, Apple proposes on iOS and Mac and stuff, they, they try to make it so subtle you don't really even tell. But I would appreciate for more UX designers trying to, to make products that exploit that. So, okay, I think this is it for the, for the call, like the mini podcast. So thanks a lot for, for being on the Getting Simple podcast, Chris. Thank you again for having me. This has been wonderful. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you next time.